If you've been watching television or online or engaged at all in the world of technology in recent days, you've heard uh, this little line from a movie, there are miracles all around us. There are miracles everywhere. Or, perhaps you haven't heard that, maybe you have friends who talk like that. You have friends who talk about miracles all the time, and it's this is a miracle, and that is a miracle, and on and on it goes. I have friends like that, acquaintances. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy because I know the Bible well enough to know that Miracles, by definition, are things that don't happen all around us. Miracles are things that don't happen regularly. Miracles are associated in the Bible with the extraordinary. They're unique. So in the life of Jesus, one of the reasons he stood out and was so exceptional and caught so many people's attention and his apostles with them is because he did miracles. He did, thing, he did things that were otherwise unexplainable. So when you study the Bible and you learn how God works, you, you learn that God works intimately in this world. So please don't misunderstand. He, he, he works in this world. He's alive and well. He's personal. He works all around us and in us. God is alive and well working in the world through ordinary things. That's not a miracle. That's God's providence. That's God's sovereignty. He's in control. He cares. He's personal. It's amazing. We can trust God for all things. The miracles are things that are extraordinary, unexplainable. And so, don't leave yet, by the way. It really bugs me when people say things like, miracles are all around us. Or, miracles, 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 miracles. Enough already. Just take like a baby theology class and learn the Bible? Okay, that's my grumpy self. Having said that, when those friends or acquaintances talk about miracles, 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 just this once, in this context, I want to say it, they're exactly right. They're exactly right. They, they couldn't be more right, even if they don't know they're right. Because the greatest miracle, yes, I'm going to use it in the theologically correct sense, the greatest miracle as far as frequency that I know of, one of the greatest miracles ever is a miracle that we see evidences of all around us quite frequently, and that would be the miracle of God taking spiritually dead people and making them alive together with Christ. That's, an, that's totally a miracle, fits the category, and it's an amazing thing. Spiritually dead people and making them alive. That, that, that's miraculous. Talk about miracles all day long. We should all be rebuked by our charismatic friends. Because there are miracles happening ongoingly and all around us. It's called, do you want to be technical? Regeneration. To be Remade, to be regenerated. Genesis, life, to be given new life. Another word for it in the Bible is the new birth. 
And it is nothing shy of a miracle. It is awesome. It's mysterious. We're going to get a little mystery today. It's mysterious. It's amazing. It's miraculous. So today we're going to talk about the miracle of regeneration, the miracle of the new birth. I loved it that we sang today, if you were noticing, perhaps, perhaps not, about regeneration, the amazing work of God that he makes dead people alive spiritually. So if you have a Bible, you'll be able to follow along. We'll look at a handful of passages, and if you're a note taker, we'll look at five facts about regeneration. It doesn't sound very exciting, but it's exciting. Five, okay, let me add to it, let me fix my notes. Five extraordinary facts. Five amazing, probably not miraculous facts, but let's learn about this. Let's learn about this God. Let's not be like the people in Jeremiah 9 who don't really know God and how he works, which just leads to bad things. Let's understand something of the mystery of how God works amazingly among us. This is a good follow-up to the series we did uh, on faith and what faith is and what faith isn't, because now we're going to talk about regeneration in light of faith. Five facts about regeneration that will help us to know the Lord and His ways. Let's start in John chapter 3. So please turn to the third chapter of the Gospel of Jesus according to John. So, as the Lord wills, we're going to start a study in the Gospel of Jesus according to John in the fall. We'll wait till everybody gets back from their vacations and all that sort of thing and ramp up. But we have to at least sample it now and then. I've been trying to have a sample it in scripture reading now and then. And John 3 is the first passage that comes to my mind when it comes to the new birth or regeneration. Jesus engages with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who's a leader of the religious people, the Pharisees. Let's go ahead and jump in. We'll look at verse 1 down through verse 7. And then we'll draw a conclusion. Verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You could even say a teacher of the Jews. He knows enough to lead, okay, as he instructs. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, or earnestly, earnestly, sincerely, sincerely, doesn't sound as good or it's not as appropriate. Importantly, importantly, don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, here's what I highlighted for our purposes this morning. Unless one is born again, there we have it, new birth, regeneration, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, here we, here we go again, time to highlight, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever he means by that, water and Spirit, we'll sort out later, but whatever he means by it, he means new birth. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, here we go again, you must be born again. Fact number one, regeneration is absolutely necessary. Pretty obvious, right? 
truly, truly, sincerely, sincerely, earnestly, earnestly, you've got to get this if you're going to get anything, Jesus is saying, you must be, you have to be born a second time. You have to be born again. You have to be, and it's the synonym for regenerated. Or you won't see the kingdom of heaven. You won't see the light of day. You won't go to heaven is what he's getting at. It's a must. You have to be born again. We say there are Christians and there are born-again Christians. It's not true. Christians are born again. They have to be. I remember years ago, I didn't know much. wasn't a Christian. My mom didn't know much. I think she was a Christian. And I remember her talking to her friends. Uh, she and my father's friends. And they were being antagonistic toward my mom because she read her Bible and she was serious and didn't know much but wanted to follow Jesus and, and wa- trusted in him. And, and, and the man's name was Charles. And he said, well, as long as you're not one of those born-again Christians, I'm okay with you. And bless my mom's heart, she said, well, Charles, according to Jesus, there's no other kind of Christian. John 3. It's true. No one is born a Christian. We might be born into a Christian family and there are blessings associated with that. 1 Corinthians 7 says there are. But you must be born a second time. It has to happen or you don't go to heaven. Has to be. Must be. Now for a little bit of mystery. Okay? Now for a little bit of mystery and we're going to get to fact number two. But how about verse 8? The wind blows where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. It's free to go where it wants. You, you, you can't push a button and make the wind go somewhere. You're not in control of the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. It's free. And you hear its sound. So there, there are evidences. But you, you don't control it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How about that? There's the analogy. It's no wonder the Holy Spirit is referred to as as wind, breath. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. And He's like the wind here, according to Jesus, because the Spirit, or excuse me, the wind goes wherever it wants to go. And you see its effects. That's the point. But it's free to go wherever it wants to go. You don't harness it. You don't tell it what to do. Fact number two that's important about the work of the Spirit in regeneration. Regeneration. Time for a church word. Ready? Regeneration is the sovereign work of the Spirit. It's not really a church word, but you don't hear it very often except in church. Or unless you're shopping for a particular model of an old Jaguar. Sovereign. What a cool name for a car. Ultimate, right? Sovereign. In in olden times with kings and queens, we don't know much about those in America, we just don't like them. (laughs) In olden times, you, you would approach the king if you were approaching the king and you would say, yes, my sovereign, my king, my authority. Or the queen, yes, my sovereign, my authority. 
And a true sovereign is free, right, to do whatever he or she wants to do. Because they have the resources, they have the power, they have the authority, and so therefore they have the freedom to do whatever they want to do. In the ultimate sense of sovereign, the regenerating work of the Spirit is a sovereign work, a free work. The third person of the triune Godhead, the Trinity, the triune God, the Spirit is free to regenerate however He sees fit to regenerate. We see the effects, but he's free to do it however he wants to do it. He's free to do it to whomever he wants to do it. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, Jesus says in John chapter 8, or excuse me, John chapter 3, free and in control to do as he see fits. Now, I joked earlier about kings and queens in America and us not liking them much. We tend, in our fallen human nature, not to like sovereigns much. Not just with the 4th of July commemorating our country. little reminder that we don't like sovereigns much. But we just tend to not like it. We, we want to be our own men and our own women. And I'm a self-made person. And I can do anything I want to do. And I've got freedom. It's just how we are. It's true when it comes to Christianity as well. This is a rub for us. But Jesus is pretty clear. You must be born again, but the Spirit goes where He wishes. Notice, please notice, it's not a recipe. Jesus doesn't say, you must be born again and let me give you four steps to follow so that you will be born again. Now, we want it to be like that. We almost want it so badly we read it into it. We want it so badly that we write books called How to Be Born Again. Really bad idea. Because the Bible doesn't say. It says you must be. But it's the work of the Spirit. And, and He causes people, we're going to say, we're going to hear even that verbiage later, causes people to be born again. And I'm kind of like, if I don't know much, I don't know much. But if I don't know the Bible well enough, I'm kind of like, huh. Don't believe I like that much. I even want to say things like that. that. doesn't seem fair. Well, it's not fair that anyone would be born again, by the way, because we're all sinful, rebellious, deserving condemnation. This is, this is a bit of a mystery. Just like the wind is a bit of a mystery. Hmm. I mean, there are things we can know about God, Right? Jesus is saying things about God that we can know and that are true, and God wants us to know things about Him, but I don't have this one totally figured out. I mean, I understand what it says, but... Huh. By the way, this won't be the last tension or mystery in our study of the Gospel according to John. It's going to be awesome. Messing with us. How can this be? Well, let, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 because most sermons are better off when you look at Ephesians 2.
so good, I think, to have our, our nice, neat pictures of God that aren't necessarily biblical changed. Should elicit worship, gratitude, thanksgiving, awe. So the reason I wanted you to go to Ephesians chapter 2 is I wanted you to see another way of saying born again that's related to the last one. Okay? And then we're going to come to fact 3. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, it's spiritual death in which you once walked, so you're, you're acting, but you're spiritually dead, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once, so notice it's universal, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were free to act according to our nature. Spiritually dead people. Okay? We weren't free to be alive spiritually. We were spiritually dead. Acting according to our nature. By nature, children of wrath. Okay? Keep thinking then, verse 4, but God, God initiates, God steps in, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, notice we're not doing anything other than acting according to our nature, which is spiritually dead. Dead in our trespasses, here's the, here are the three words that are worth noting in verse 5, made us alive. Who's the acting one? It's God. God, God made us alive. That's another way of saying God regenerated us. He made us alive. New Genesis. Made us alive together with Christ. And then he explains, this is what Christians mean when they say, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and goes on. And then in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now we do have faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Dead. God steps in, makes us alive. Then we believe. Oh, now we're getting controversial. I think I'm going to go on vacation next week too, after this. No, I'm not. Fact number three from that text, and we'll, we'll talk it through. Regeneration precedes faith. I kind of want to go, dun, 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 dun. Not every Christian believes this. You might not believe it. We can be friends. You can be welcome here. I'm going to try to change your mind. Dead. What do dead people do? Spiritually. Anything virtuous? Do they do the right thing spiritually? I'm setting you up, by the way. Do spiritually dead people do the right things? No, right? Next question. Is faith the right thing? Yes, it's not a trick question, but I'm setting you up. It's a command from God. We, we must believe. We need to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It's a requirement. It's essential. It's vital. Faith is a good thing. Faith is the right thing. Faith means trust. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Okay? 
But it is the right thing. And spiritually dead people don't do the right thing. They're incapable of doing anything right. They only act according to their nature. To get from point A to point B, we need but God. We need God to do something. And what do we need Him to do is to make us alive together with Christ. I am just in the habit of saying, I think salvation, the more I learn, is even better than I thought it was. It's more awe-inducing because it puts me back in my chair and makes me think, what did I teach in that Sunday school class 20 years ago? Well, the opposite. Thankful for spiritual growth. Spiritually dead people don't believe. They need God to act first. And by the way, if you want to believe this way, now, how about this? For multiple reasons. Are we enjoying this, by the way? See, I, I want you to believe this because I want you to be in awe and be like, well, it is better than I even thought. But I also want you to believe this way because otherwise it's terrible. It leads to terrible things. By the way, if... And again, I'm, let's make a hypothetical person, okay? Because I don't want to make this be any of you. Well, you get the idea. If someone, if you think that faith being the right thing to do is what you did and that led to regeneration, which countless thousands of Christians do, give yourself a pat on the back. We're here to celebrate you. Good job for doing the right thing. And God rewarded you for doing the right thing. And then you're born again as a result of you doing the right thing. We should all praise you and worship you perhaps. Or at least you should worship yourself. Sorry for the sarcasm, but I'm trying to make a point. Spiritually dead. Incapable. Doing the right thing, believing in Jesus. We've we, we got to have a bridge. We've, we've got to have a new genesis. We've got to have the new birth. We've got to have God do something mysteriously. How did that happen? We didn't harness it. We didn't follow steps. But if you think that somehow you're dead and then you believe you do the right thing and then God regenerates you, you're smart. Atta boy. Atta girl. The reason you're regenerate and your neighbor isn't is because you were somehow smart enough to have faith. You don't want to believe that. Why is this important? Well, it's important because the praise is ultimately going to go to God and you're going to be like Paul in, in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Him. And you just go on and on and on and you're so excited you can hardly even get your words out right. Because you're amazed by the mystery of the new birth that happened in your life that resulted in saving faith and trusting in Jesus and it just rocks your mind. That's the positive. The negative is going to be, otherwise it's pride. It's smarts. And another negative is, the way you share the gospel with people is salesmen or saleswomanship. If you can just set them up the right way so you can get them to believe, 
then God will reward them because of what you did to get them to believe, and then they'll be regenerated. New creations. So let's do everything we can to have the right emotions and the right arguments and the right methods and the right techniques and we are going to get people to believe and then regenerated and we can do it. I guarantee you we can do it. But there's a huge problem. If you need categories for this, by the way, regeneration after faith Historically, that's called Arminianism. Not Armenianism, okay? I love Armenians. I love Armenians also. But Armenian would be a people group. Arminian would be people who believe that people aren't spiritually dead, by the way. They're spiritually sick. Get them to believe, and then they're rewarded with regeneration. Historically, that's the category. The opposite category would be Reformation Christianity, the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation of George Whitfield, the evangelist. Um, he would be a reformed kind of person. Um, John Calvin would be believing this. And it doesn't mean you have to be a Calvinist. I'm just saying. If you like John Calvin, okay, this is Calvinism. If you don't like John Calvin, it's not, it's just biblical. <laughs> We, 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 none of us want the categories, but then the, you end up falling. Okay, if you don't like the Calvin category, you're Augustinian. You like that better? Maybe not. I know we all just want to be biblical, but when you say, I believe that regeneration comes before faith, you fall into the Reformed camp, okay? You fall into the Augustinian camp. You fall into the, the, the Calvinistic camp. You say, I don't follow anyone. I know, but that's the category you fall into because you fall somewhere. And if you say, I believe that faith comes first and then regeneration, well, you're an Arminian. You say, I don't like being an Arminian. I know I don't either. So you should stop. <laughs> Just helping you with categories. A, friend, a, a, a church member here not too long ago said, I'm leaving. Uh, he's coming back from college, and I'm going to go to this other church. Um, it's a cool, hip church, lots of people my age. And I said, oh, w- when, when did you become Arminian? And he's like, I never became Arminian. I believe in, you know, I, I'm young, restless, and reformed. I'm like, no, you're not. Ar- you're Arminian because you're going to a church that's doctrinal statement teaches explicitly that faith comes first, then regeneration, then salvation. So when did you become an Arminian? I didn't become an Arminian. Oh, yes, you did. And it's no wonder you have to do all the methods you have to do to get people saved because being born again is a recipe. I want you to think about these categories. In the end, Omaha Bible Church will start selling the gospel or will not sell the gospel, will preach the gospel knowing full well that God sovereignly, the God the Spirit sovereignly works in a mysterious way and He is the one who has to bring about the effect. Telling you more than you want to know, perhaps. It's actually a big deal. It's actually a big deal. He made us alive. I believe regeneration comes before faith. We don't take credit for it. We, we take awe is what we take. Okay, more could be said about that. And sometimes I say that when I have nothing else to say, I actually have lots more to say. 
Now, you might be asking yourself the question, again, is this, is this fair? I, I like the how-to better. But see, again, dead in trespasses and sins, fair is we all stay dead and deserve condemnation. The amazing mystery is, how in the world did I become a Christian? I was spiritually dead. And I don't get it. And it wasn't because I read the best apologetics books. How in, the, how in the world did I go from being that guy to this guy? This is absolutely staggering to my mind. What? God made me alive together with Christ and it showed itself in believing in Jesus. And this is absolutely amazing, head-scratchingly so. And so it leads to, to, to worship, to, to wonder, to praise, to, I can't believe this, I can't get over this. Anything but pride. Okay, let's move to another passage and another conclusion. Titus chapter 3. We were at Titus recently, so we can do this one rather easily. Titus chapter 3, fact number 4. Let's go ahead. I'll give it to you ahead of time. I preached a sermon last week, by the way, in Nashville. And it's fun preaching in other places about things like this because you can just leave. <laughs> Actually, the, the pastors asked, they, they were doing a summer series on the Holy Spirit, and they asked me to do regeneration. And I know what the, the leaders there believe, and I was just saying what they believe because we're on the same page regarding these things. So it's great fun. They're affirmed because it is somewhat controversial. And there was a real live Arminian there visiting for the first Sunday. And that was fun too. My friend, I, the good news is he didn't talk to me. He talked to the senior pastor who has all the answers. <laughs> for like an hour though, and made us late for lunch. But he, my, my friend Byron, he said, so, so you're an Arminian. No, I'm not. Well, actually, you are actually historically, but I'm not. I'm just biblical. Yeah, that's, that's fine if you're just biblical, but you're an Arminian. Anyway. So if you're here and you're an Arminian, if you're that same guy, I'll be nice to you, but we're, we're leaving after a half hour. <laughs> I'd be happy to talk to you about it in all sincerity. It really, the theology of the Spirit really matters. It really does. Your view of God, your view of salvation, your view of lots of things. Okay, Titus chapter 3, fact number 4. Uh, regeneration gives you perspective. Sorry for the length of this one. Gives you perspective regarding bad people. Regeneration gives you perspective regarding bad people. Quote, unquote. Let me say it another way. If you understand the doctrine of regeneration, the teaching of regeneration, the spirit's work of regeneration, this mysterious, powerful, amazing miracle, you'll have a better perspective on regarding other bad people. Because Titus 3 is going to teach us, you're bad. So when you look at other bad people, you should realize that you, re you were regenerated. You can love those bad people because if you are regenerated and within the reach of God, certainly even the worst person is within the power of God's 
reaching. Okay? That's the context. Remember Titus, we studied it just recently. The context is church in a pagan culture. Last time I checked, our culture is looking more and more pagan. In the 21st century, United States of America, it seems to be snowballing and we get mad about it and we don't like it because they're not tied to our morality and our perspective of things. And we have reason to be upset about it and we have reason to vote and we have reason to be involved, blah, 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 blah. I meant that in all the best ways. But when it comes to Christian mission... Titus is at Crete, probably more of a pagan culture than our pagan culture, and the exhortation to the pastor to tell the people is, you've got to keep evangelizing. You've got to keep evangelizing these people. And one thing that's going to help you is to remember the doctrine, the teaching regarding the regenerating work of the Spirit. Okay, so I want to pastor you that way and say, the doctrine of regeneration, the truth about regeneration is going to help you love people who aren't very lovely. Because, frankly, you're not very lovely apart from God's grace, okay? There, there it is. Okay, verses 1 to 8. Remind them, Pastor Titus, remind them, Christians in your congregation, so I'm going to do that, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, pagan ones, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And based upon the way he uses it in chapter 2, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of sinners, Okay, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, foolish in the things of God is what he's getting at, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And that's where we want to say, that's not true of me, and that wasn't true of me. And the point in this text is, yes, it was. You, you didn't realize how much of a hater you were. You didn't realize how much other people hated you. You didn't realize what a fool you were in relationship to God. Okay, that, that's what he's getting at. Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness, I love this, the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. We were the haters and the hated, the fools. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not our obedience to commands is what he's saying, but according to his own mercy. Ha ha, here we go. This is the awesome part for our purposes today, though it's all been awesome. By the washing of regeneration, there's our word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Notice, not done by us, done to us, personal, but that's what made us different. The regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. Verse 6, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It comes to us in and light and because of the gospel so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have, been, who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I want to constantly remind you Yes, it's bad. It's bad out there. Motivation to do good works out there in relationship to all different kinds of people. Those fools regarding God because you were just like them. That's the point. Regeneration. So when I have someone that I know, I almost said friend, but I would just be lying. When I have someone that I know that calls me worse names than I've ever been called in my whole life. True story. I'm not going to give you the details. And I want to kill that person. 
true story. I don't want to give you the details. I couldn't believe what this person said to me. I could not believe what they said to me. Happen on a bike. Great things happen on bikes. Terrible things happen on bikes. I got done with this ride, got in my car. It was my truck back then. I called my brother. I said, you'll never guess what just happened. I just, you know, it's what you do. You call your big brother. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time he defended me. And he said, you know what, Pat? I'm going to pray that you baptize him. I'm like, thanks a lot, you jerk. <laughs> Not really, but you get the idea, you know? I, I, I want to pray the imprecatory psalms of judgment on this guy's head, and that would be biblical. I'm going to pray that you baptize him. And I'm here to tell you that I haven't baptized him yet, but we're almost friends. <laughs> almost. I need that kind of reminder. You need that kind of reminder. The world is filled with bad people. You're one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but God has regenerated you and given you new life, but you've got to look at other people around you through that perspective, and it will give you a different perspective. It can give you a heart for lost people. That's all. May God do that. That would be a fun baptism service. One more passage, one more fact, then we'll be done. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter 1, 23, toward the end of the Bible, you start backing up from Revelation and Jude and 3 John, 1 John, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter. Most of you have Bible apps anyway, so you're like, why is he saying this? fact is this, regeneration comes through hearing the gospel. This might help with one of those other points that you got upset about if you did or didn't understand. Regeneration comes through hearing the gospel. Not because I said it had to, not because you think it should, but this is the way God has revealed it. The way God has chosen, okay? The way God has chosen to bring about new life. God has chosen to use the proclamation, the heralding of the good news regarding Jesus to be the tool, the means, the way that He supernaturally brings about new life and belief as a result of that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 is super helpful when it comes to this. 1 Peter 1, 23, Since you have been born again, there's our concept, reality. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. How does it happen? Through the living and abiding Word of God. In context, the way Peter uses it, he's talking about the gospel. It's the way Paul uses it also. 
So you want to be super fancy? Some of you come here to, to, to get your theology game on, okay? God has ordained the means for bringing about the new birth and the means he has ordained to bring it about would be the means of preaching the gospel or hearing the gospel, excuse me. The divinely ordained means for bringing about regeneration is hearing. Therefore, we proclaim. Therefore, we proclaim Christ to everyone knowing that what brings about regeneration is the living and abiding Word of God. And so we preach the Word of God, specifically the Gospel, not knowing who's going to believe, not knowing who's going to be regenerated before that, but we know that that's how God works. The cross-reference to this we saw recently in our series on faith, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, right? And Peter's complimenting that regeneration comes by hearing. Well, that's right, because really the two are inseparable except for study. Because one's going to bring about the other. And so this becomes awesome. I don't know who's going to be regenerated. And if I tell you I know, I'm a liar. Read John 3. It's a mystery. But I know, I know, I know, and I want you to know that God uses proclamation of the gospel to bring it about in the lives of those who will be born again. And so I'm a preaching fool. I want you to be a preaching fool. And I don't mean preaching up here behind a podium. I mean proclaiming fool. I want to tell anybody and everybody I possibly can about Jesus and what he's done. And I'm going to call them to believe in Jesus. Knowing full well that they're spiritually dead. Right? When evangelism is super hard, remember this. I mean, naturally, I hate evangelism because I don't like cold calls. I don't even really like warm calls. not selling anything. I'm heralding the good news regarding Jesus and telling people to do the right thing, which is to believe in Jesus. But I, and I know full well that God will bring about regeneration and saving faith. And everyone I tell, no. It's a mystery. A good cross-reference would be Acts 13. Acts 13, 48. All those who had been appointed unto eternal life believed huh I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said you know it's not like we can go lift people's shirts up that wouldn't be nice anyway we can't look, lift people's shirts up and see if they're appointed unto eternal life because then we would only evangelize those people but what we do is we tell everybody about Jesus and we tell everybody about his work and we tell them if they believe in Jesus they will be saved but we know full well they're spiritually dead when we tell them. And we know full well that they have to be regenerated. But we know full well that God uses the proclamation and therefore the hearing as the means for bringing it about. Let me say it this way. No one will be saved apart from hearing the gospel. Let me also say this. Not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved. But I'm not sovereign and in control and I don't know all things. I've been called to proclaim Christ to everyone knowing full well that those who've been appointed unto eternal life will believe because they've been regenerated. Now they're going to do the right thing. And now evangelism is maybe kind of fun, exciting. I mean, if it helps you, just think of the people you're talking to with those X's over their eyes. That super intimidating professor or that person, you're like, oh no. 
Because <laughs> that's the right perspective. Sorry. I'm here to tell them good news, knowing full well that it's the divine ordained means by which God brings about the new birth, followed by saving faith in light of what Jesus has done. I get excited about this kind of stuff because for too many years, for too much time, it's all a ball of confusion. It's not that confusing. It's not difficult. It's humbling. It's unsettling because I'm not in charge and I'm not sovereign and neither are you. But Omaha Bible Church and you can go through life and ministry in Omaha, Nebraska and beyond and not have an identity crisis and not have to chase the next big thing. We're here to proclaim Christ to believers so they grow and unbelievers so that all those who have pointed unto eternal life will believe. It's exciting. It's awesome. Welcome to reformational Christianity if you like labels. If you don't like labels, welcome to Christianity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to talk about real basic things, but things we don't talk about enough, people, the things that we don't really understand. And we're paralyzed by our lack of ability to convince people, and we don't need to be. May we find ourselves in awe. May we find ourselves baffled even to the point of worshiping you, this sovereign God who is mysterious but who's also made yourself known. For those who are here today who are not Christians, please work in their lives. We know that you're the one who has to cause them to be born again. Having heard the truth about Jesus in his perfect life, his crucifixion, being punished for our sin, though he never sinned in his perfect resurrection. May they trust in him. And may we then see evidence like we see evidence of the wind blowing, that they're trusting in him and not in them, themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.